Ag Over Easy is the new podcast from Channel where you get breakfast with a side of agronomic insights. Enjoy some food for thought while you get fresh takes on different topics from a wide range of farm industry experts. Coming soon to channelpodcasting.com and Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen. Hi, welcome back to Channel Chat. I'm your host, Amity Shedd, and today I'm joined by guest host, Matt Anselm. For this episode, we are in Medelia, Minnesota, with Channel Seedsman Todd Artiser and Channel Farmer Kevin Popple. Now, we've been working on this podcast for a while now, and we've heard from a lot of different seedsmen, farmers, and agronomists, and each one of them has a unique relationship. And this one between Todd and Kevin is no different. Yeah, it was pretty evident to us right off the bat that these guys had worked together uh, for a while. They had a, a pretty honest and open relationship when it comes to talking about what needed to be done and and what they were currently trying to do as far as their goals in the farm. So one of the questions we always ask first is how did the relationship start? It seems like their relationship actually started with Todd's dad and, and Kevin's uncle. So it was interesting to hear how that relationship allowed them to forge their own relationship uh, in this farming business. Right. Well, the relationship started before us with my father and his uncle um, through the seed business and being both the same age and just being in the same town and and uh, friends and stuff like that. And uh, um, then as, as I started taking over the seed business, business and Kevin started taking over the, the farming operation, you know, it, it was our turn to, to build a relationship. Todd's right. We, that's really how we started our relationship. And it's blossomed into something more, I would say, from, from my standpoint anyway, than anything that, that the first generation had because we're, we're focused different on our operations. Um, we're much more business-based. Um, not to say that that the generation before us wasn't business-based, but there was a lot more farming that happened then um, in a very positive way. Now there's there's a lot more business being done, and it's, it's big business. Now we're talking in millions of dollars, not hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, when I had the opportunity to start farming uh, the land that my uncle farmed for 40-plus years, the first question that I have is, who do you do business with? Who do you trust? Because I knew with my background in agronomy and precision ag that relationships were really important. What I didn't know when I, you know, when I came to start farming in this area is who do you work with and what do each of these people um, you know, stand to bring my operation for value? And you know, what always rose top, to, top of the list was, well, you know, I've, I've done business with, with Arduzers for years, and, you know, even in tough times, they always help me out. And that was kind of my trigger. When you look at agriculture overall, it seems like there's always a challenge that you face, whether it be a positive or negative thing. And so you need to have people that, that you can trust. And why wouldn't you trust somebody that's had a, a business relationship for 40-plus years and with, with Todd's dad and my uncle, whom I look up to both of those people as, as as Todd. There was a single instance that really kicked off Todd and Kevin's business relationship. It was kind of an aha moment for Kevin when he knew that his seedsman Todd had his best interests in mind. The story starts with an old planter that Kevin wanted to retrofit for variable rate planting on his farm. So like start on where that first conversation happened. Yeah, so I mean I think... 
thinking back to even before I took over the operation, I was I was helping my uncle, and so because Todd and his dad were were still an integral part of my uncle's operation with Pioneer Seed and. Um, you know, helping calibrate the monitor. I mean, I, I remember exactly where we were when we did that. And Todd did some some drone flights um, while we were harvesting, which I thought was cool. And you know, that was before we really used drones to make decisions. They were they were just more of a something cool, you know. Um, but I remember having the conversation with him, and this was before I even knew that I was going to take over the farm. You were riding in the combine with me. Um, we were over on on that irrigation piece, the sandbox, and. I just expressed to Todd how, how happy I'd be if I got the opportunity to farm. And, you know, obviously, he, you know, he'd like to see the business passed on to someone that's likely going to do business with him or at least have an opportunity. And I think as our relationship progressed, I knew based on the research and after working in the industry that I was going to have to do something with my planter. And the biggest thing that I wanted to do is variable rate plant. I knew that we had five main soil types, and that's a lot. Kevin's got really unique ground to start with. On, on one pass, he's going to go from blow sand to heavy ground to muck, or to and and peat. You know, so he's got he's got unique sand. He's got farms that should be absolutely system tiled every thirty feet, but also half the year need an irrigation system. I grew up in the Red River Valley. We had Fargo clay loam and Fargo clay loam. You plant one variety, you plant it at 34,000 population, and you're good. Here, that doesn't work. And I got to see it firsthand, especially on irrigation, where we'd go across a field and plant 36,000 population, and we left tons of money on the table. So I think that's really where, where the idea got started is, hey, I bought this planter. What can we do with it to accomplish first the variable rate planting and row shot offs because I can't afford to pay for more seed than I need. And I don't know how we got going on the precision planting side of things. I think that planter, when your uncle first got it, had E-sets in it. Yep. We had run the E-sets a couple times on our, our, our meter stand and, so, and to try to tweak them in and get things correct. And then the planting season would happen. And Let's just say that it's not best practices always to fix vacuum hoses with duct tape. Sure. Not a hundred percent perfect situation there. And so we started drilling into little things. What are the little things we can fix on this planner in order to get it to go? Well, let's put new tubes on there. Let's just the vacuum tubes, let's make sure they're sealed. Let, let's just let's do simple things like that. Well, then it worked into we just said he's got five different soil types on, on one pass across the field, and he's got parallel springs for his downforce. And we know we know our margins are going crazy. Our downforce margins are going crazy across that field and, and stuff. And so we started looking at Air Force at the time, putting airbags on there. And so we, we had started looking at this, and then Kevin had started doing more research. Well, well what about the variable rate motors and, and putting this on? And by the time we were done, we looked at it, and, and the invoice for the, the equipment was roughly around $40,000. I'm like, okay, we were sold on it. We knew it was probably going to be a, a, a two, three-year uh, ROI on it, but it was definitely going to pay him back on on his, his operation, on, on his equipment. And he, he brought the brought the planter in one day. I don't remember if it was fall or... It was winter. Winter it was. And it was cold. I remember that. And we started ripping into the planter. 
And because you got to tear it down to build it back up. And and one of the employees at the time come back, come in and, and said, Ty, to come out and look at this planner. And I went out and looked and he starts showing me things and we start lifting up each row unit and shaking it and moving things around. And we have bushings that are bad and we have, you know, wear points on there and stuff. And it's like, we looked and looked and got another opinion from our business partner and stuff. And then it's like, I'm going to sleep on this tonight. And yeah, because at this point, we're we're new business partners, right? Yeah. So I, I trusted him enough to bring it over here to take a look at this thing. But where things really changed for me, in, in my mind, whether you knew it or not at the time, and this is really what's forged such a, a trusting relationship back and forth now, um, as he just flat out said, listen, I, you know, I knew what it was going to cost $40,000. And he could have put that on my planner just as easy. Most would have. I, I have to be honest. Most would have put it on the planner and, and we would have just tackled the issues two, three years down the road. But he said, listen, this, this is not going to work. Yes, we, we've got the parts on order. We'll take care of that. But you need to find yourself a different planter if you want to accomplish these five things. We started looking at, okay, we got to add new bushings. We got to add new this and that. And, and we started adding up ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 of maintenance on the planner that we wanted to do before we even got to the $40,000 bill. Now, keep in mind, this planner is only worth $7,000, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, right? Legitimately. Right. Yeah. So now we take it one step further. Not only did he say, listen, we're not going to do this, but I found a planner down in Illinois that had a lot of precision planting on it already. And let's be honest, they're in the business of selling precision planting. I called them and I said, what do you think? And you got to be thinking, if you're in business, you got to be thinking, darn it, you know, I'd really like to sell him these parts. That's what they're in the business to do. Mm -hmm. But instead, Todd and his business partner, Tyler, said, FaceTime us when you get down there. We'll take a look at that planner with you. I mean, to me, it just, it continually, they continually had this partnership mentality. If I do well, they do well and vice versa. And when you look at where our relationship is now, versus then it's the same exact thing if it isn't good for both of us it's not good business um, I'm aware that they need to make money but he's also aware that that I need to do the same and it's just a great relationship and it's really forged into something where I don't make major decisions unless I include this core group of people and Todd is is by far the one where I'll drive over here and say hey I'm thinking about this is it is it dumb or not and he'll tell me the business relationship between Todd and Kevin is more than just a business relationship. Kevin is more than a customer to Todd and vice versa. And as Kevin says, if it isn't good for both of them, then it's just not good business. There's a real friendship and honesty between the two. And Kevin and Todd also have similar stories when it comes to their place in ag business and how they got there. As with many in the ag field, their love of farming runs in the family and it runs deep. Can you tell us a little bit about just how you got to the so you've been doing business for five years you said in farming channel for five years kind of a little bit of the story of yourself where you were where you're at and kind of how you got to this point sure so um i've loved farming ever since i can remember my family started farming um oh i guess it would be uh third generation now um up in the red river valley and they're still currently farming 
Um, back in the 80s, uh, my, my folks uh, were farming and the 80s were very difficult and they decided to, um, you know, work in the industry versus, you know, stay being farmers in the late 80s and, and like many, um, you know, and I think they made a, a wise choice. My extended family uh, now farms um, the majority of that land. And, you know, all the way growing up, I was on the farm every chance I could get. I would rather be at the farm than anywhere else. And so it was natural for me to, to want to farm. The challenge was is that mom and dad quit farming back in the 80s. My extended family obviously was um, fairly large. And mom and dad just flat out told me, you need to go work in the industry before you even think about coming back to the farm. Because um, I think the opportunity would have been there had you know had we had we pushed it, but I have to commend my mom and dad for for really pushing me out the door and saying, "Listen, you you need to get some experience because you know staying here in Wilkin County is is uh, is okay, and you're always welcome back, but you need to go out and get some different experience." So I went to college. Um, I got a degree in agriculture business, and I had an emphasis in agronomy and precision ag, um, which is still a, a great passion of mine now. But I got a job for out of out of college for a, a retailer, and worked specifically with farmers, um, and kind of grew that position into a precision ag um, management job within within the organization that I was in, um, and that's really when precision ag wasn't it wasn't cool. It was actually very difficult and. It was really fun to be on the cutting edge of that, but cutting edge then is so different than the cutting edge now. Um, and we did things, you know, at a level that was very minimal to where we're at today. But it was really neat to be, you know, one of the first people to to kind of pave a path that way. And it started and spurred a lot of, of my thought process around sustainability and some of the things that we need to, to be thinking about that may have been different than the generation before us and will likely be different than, than the next generation if there is one that, that takes over the operation. And frankly, I, I never had the desire to, to go back home. It wasn't until about 10 years ago um, when I moved closer to, uh, to this area now and started working for a, a fertilizer company that I started helping my uncle and that really progressed into where we are now. Um, you know, from my standpoint, I, I had the best of all worlds because I got to see the farm growing up. I then was able to go out and work with farmers on the other side, uh, you know, work my way through and, and work for a couple of large corporations um, after my retail experience and gain some knowledge um, and, and a lot of very good relationships to now go into a farming career where I have resources that a lot of people don't have the privilege of, of having. And it really has, has helped me accelerate what we're able to do and how quickly we can, we can do it in. So, you know, the, the, the first generation farming thing is, is extremely difficult. So, um, you know, I took over my uncle's operation, but, um, you know, and, and he gave us the opportunity, but, like most people that own a business, he needed to retire. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do when you're helping somebody start farming. And, and you know, he gave me the opportunity and and we could either run with it or, or fail. And thankfully, we're still running with it. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a lot of, a lot of sleepless nights, but it's been extremely rewarding 
Um, and again, you know, you talk about first generation, that's not something you, you hear very often. And there's good reason for that because it's, it not only costs a lot of money, but it's not for the faint of heart. Passing off, you know, something that you've, the land and the, the operation that you've been working for in your uncle's point of view for a long time to, to someone is probably a pretty difficult thing. So talk about your relationship with him. As much as, as if, if my uncle was sitting right here, we would joke about the fact that he gives me a lot of free advice. And, you know, you think about the young bull, old bull analogy where I'm trudging forward as fast as I can to keep up with technology and, and, and keep up with the industry. And he's saying, hey, listen, there's, there's some experience here that you need to grasp onto. 43 years is a lot of years. And, and what I'm so thankful for is that my, my uncle has become a very close friend because we talk daily about things that we're extremely passionate about together. Um, and that's not saying sometimes we disagree about things because there's no doubt that we do. But again, that blessing really comes in that I've, I've got a set of parents who are supportive and now I have kind of a second set of parents that are really watching over me. And with agriculture and especially farming, it's a very emotional, um, when you pass the torch like my uncle did to me, I was honored for that. And I can remember the day, I can remember the day that he chose me over, you know, the 40 people that would have loved to have rented that farm. And there was no better, no better feeling business-wise that I've ever gained by him saying, you know what, I choose you and I want you to do that. And, and that's something that, that I'll never forget. And, and, you know, from my standpoint, having that resource, um, it's a, it's a real critical piece. It's an absolute critical piece. He's, he's my uncle, but he's really like a dad to me because he's watching over what we're doing. And albeit sometimes it's, you know, I'll call Todd and say, Hey, you know what? This is kind of frustrating. I mean, he's old school. And then I kind of have to take a step back and say, but he really knew what he was doing. He was a great farmer. He was a great farmer. So to be able to pass something like that on is, is pretty neat. And he's not afraid to share his opinions with you. That is for certain. <laughs> but you know, that's a good thing. And I think, you know, you talk about the young bull, old bull thing, and you have that with your dad too. Exactly. And, and as much as it frustrates us sometimes, I think you have to take a step back. And that's one thing that I've learned from my uncle. So you have to take a step back and take a deep breath and look at it for what it really is. So you got 15 inches of rain on October 10th. There's nothing that you can do about it but be patient and make a plan. That's all you can do. And then he'll sit and reminisce about, you know, back in 1978, we had the same type of thing and we got all the crop out. I mean, I think it's, it's one of those things where if you don't have that support network as a farmer, you feel alone. You know, my uncle, I, I can't tell you a day during harvest that I don't go into the house when we park the combine and say, this is what we got going on. Um, or during planting season, I pick up the phone and, and call him and let him know, you know, we got the North 40 planted today, and here's what's going on. Yeah, you're probably not even asking questions. You're just kind of giving them updates and information and then just kind of waiting and, and accepting back information as it comes back to you. Right, and, you know, the first year, the first year, the first couple of years that you take over, you you don't want to ask for that advice because you, you want to show them that you know what you're doing, and you and you soon realize that you're missing out on a wealth of knowledge from someone that's you know, that's made the mistake that I've probably made three times over the past 43 years already and can probably help us from, you know, from 
making that mistake again. That's actually a good segue into to talking a little bit about, you know, you said your guys' families have been, you've done business for a long time. Kind of how did you get into it and kind of give us a little little backstory on, on kind of how you became a seedsman and how you kind of got into this business. The story is going to sound very similar to Kevin's story. Um, you know, starting with the late 70s, 80s, the, the economic issues and stuff like that. I, I believe I was uh, um, nine years old, 10 years old, when right here on this farm we had a farm auction with the, with the struggles of the, of the economy at that time. And I believe that was about 81, and my dad has rented out a couple parcels of, of the land that he owns to the same brothers for, I don't know, I can't do the math, 30-odd years since then. Um, so I grew up on a farm, but I didn't really farm, and always had the love of farming and always got to see what my, my dad was doing and stuff like that, and, and got the same kind of the same advice that Kevin did. Go to college, get educated go work for somebody else, and then we'll see if we can work you back into the operation. So, you know, went and worked at a co-op for a couple of years, and then uh, a small seed company, you know, uh, went and worked for them for about a year, and, and uh, got, the, got the agronomic, the real-life agronomic, you know, background at the co-op. And then for a small seed company, got that, that salesman type, uh, a knowledge cold calling, you know, that is basically all I did was cold calling. I, I worked for a small seed company that most people never heard of. So it was a lot of knocking on doors. And there was a time where I think it was 97, it just worked to come back in, in at home. Um, like I said, dad had been out of the actual farming business, but I'm a fourth generation seed sales going back to my grandfather or great grandfather. So and you had said you had said your great grandfather was early, early in pioneer, right? Yep. That's yep. awesome. And then my grandfather and father and I'd followed in those those footsteps and and such. And uh being a fourth generation, you know, we just sell seed. Um we'd done uh put up some hog barns and, and did some diversifying that way and stuff like that. It's just been kind of the last about six years where dad has kind of said enough. I'm tired of trying to remember every hybrid, tired of trying to keep up with the precision side of things, all this new stuff. Um, I'm going to go this direction, and you take the seed business and, and see what you can do with it. That's awesome. Todd's approach to selling seed is very hands-on, and it's the perfect pairing with the way Kevin does his business. One thing Kevin does differently than other farmers when it comes to his farming operation is involving what he calls his, quote, trusted advisors. These advisors all get together at least once a year to work together on a plan, their priority being Kevin and his farm. Kevin shares who those advisors are, and he tells us some more about the first meeting, which didn't really go as he planned. The, the people in my trusted advisor group are my biggest cheerleaders, but I don't expect those cheerleaders to tell me what I want to hear. I expect them to help me make money, to help me make better decisions for the future. I've been selling seed for over 25 years. And not that the trusted advisor meeting is a way to sell, is a, is a means to sell seed that we got to do with everybody. 
but it was a it was a different meeting than I have ever had in my life it, of of selling seed and and working with a grower and working for the betterment of his operation. You know, we have we have a couple different. You know, you're, we're doing a channel podcast, and every channel seedsman is going to say you can narrow it down to you know a couple different ways you sell seed. You know, one guy is going to be very do a lot of the research himself and he's going to come in and say he wants, you know, 209.53 to put on the North quarter. And, and next guy is going to come in and say, yeah, I'm not exactly sure, but I know, you know, this is the, I have a, a, a sandy loam soil, what hybrid is going to be next. And you know, the third guy might have come in with an order that he got from his consultant. But when we started this, when Kevin started this trusted advisor meeting, and we started breaking down every single angle. It just, it just became unreal, and and I'm not sure how you thought of bringing everybody together. I guess we've never even talked about that side of things. Yeah. So, um, my wife and I own a dental office. My wife's a dentist, and um, we um, we started that business back in 2011. And what we realized very rapidly is that if you don't have good business partners, you likely aren't long for the business. But it wasn't until um, Rachel brought on a business partner and we, we really grew that business. We decided that we were, we were going to really ramp things up. And in doing that, we had to entrust in some people to help us make some very big decisions, not only financially, but for our family. Um, you know, we, we talk about money a lot, but at the end of the day, our families are our most important asset. And when you make big decisions to make big investments, it's going to have an effect on your family. So we started um, uh, taking some key employees uh, that, that we had and still have, um, and we would do a retreat. And we would focus on a lot of different aspects of the business. Sometimes we would invite people um, that you know, we, we needed some answers on a piece of equipment or, you know, some financial advice, whatever it might be. And so we'd invite these people in and we found out really fast that, wow, we maybe should invite them in all the time and share with them what we're, what we're trying to accomplish because sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And by having them in the room together, they feed off of each other. And pretty soon now we have a better product than what we would have had trying to piecemeal everything together. Because sometimes we, we hold things so close to our chest that people don't understand what our true goals are because we are we don't articulate them in the way that that people can always understand. So our trusted advisor group for for our farming operation and now our custom application business because they run in tandem together was was really a product of we know this works in a dental office, why can't it work for a farm? And the first meeting didn't work for the first 30 minutes. No. Until, really until you put your foot down. So let's, let's tee up the first meeting, right? So I send out an email. First of all, Todd's gracious enough to say, listen, I've got a boardroom here. You're more than, more than happy to use it. That's great because we needed a big enough space and we needed some resources. Todd has all of my data. Um, and the data is, is really important. We needed to talk about that data if we were going to get to the end goal. But imagine that my banker, again, super important to my business because if I don't have the money, I don't have the farm. 
my precision planting people, Todd and Tyler, who are also very critical to me because precision planting has turned into more than just planting now. It's, it's more of a, of a systematic approach. You have seedsmen, and at that time, I was dealing with another channel seedsman in addition to Todd. Okay, Todd wasn't selling me seed on the first meeting that we had at all. Todd was simply my precision egg person. And, and I don't mean to, to discount that, but at the time, I had a channel seedsman that was someone who I still trust very much and is a great friend of mine. And then I had an, an agronomy partner who, who we still work with on a, on a very regular basis, but they sell different brands of seed. Um, and, and then we had another precision egg person that, that worked a lot with our fertilizer and chemical. Now imagine yourself sitting down in a room I send an email out to everyone saying, hey, we're going to meet at County Line Ag, and this is the time, and this is what I want to accomplish. Here is your homework. Please come prepared with these things. So first of all, I know I caught a few of them off guard. Um, you weren't really one of them because um, I had kind of teed you up on it, but a few of the people were like, really? Okay, so we, we get started with the meeting, and I should have started this way, but I didn't because I thought, we're all adults, everyone's going to get along, everyone's going to be respectful. And, and it wasn't that people were disrespectful, but people weren't opening up. We were too respectful. Everyone was just kind of holding everything close to their chest. It's kind of like going to the principal's office with another person and like who's going to be the, who's, who's going <laughs> to talk first kind of thing a little yeah, bit. Yeah, precisely. It's, it, was, it was like sales 101. Whoever right. talks first right. is going to lose. And I'm thinking, hold on, this is not working. What in the heck, you know, what did, what did I do here? So finally I took a step back. And I remember we're sitting back here and I stood up and I said, everyone, hold on. I want you to know that you're here for me and me only. I don't, I don't care. I truly do not care about your guys' relationships. This is about me. You were a little bit more blunt than that. I was. I pretty much said, <laughs> get your shit together. You're here for me. If you want me to buy from you, help me out. Right. I, I invited you here because I trust you. Now, keep in mind, you guys, that we're not just going through yield. I showed these people my balance sheets, my profit and loss. I mean, we dug deep into this is what I want the future of my operation to be, and we have to start today, otherwise we won't get there. I've got a four-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter that I hope someday will want to be a part of our operation, and if I don't do it right starting out now, I will have nothing to pass on to them. You want to talk about a legacy, Legacy is the most important thing to me. Making money is not the most important thing to me. It's my legacy. It's 100% my legacy. If I have something to pass on, whether it be my children, my nephews, my nieces, whomever it might be, just like my uncle did for me, I want something to pass on and I can't do it by myself. So when, I, when, when we had that first meeting, I was very passionate about the fact that I wanted some answers because I have a wealth of knowledge in the room and not a one of them would open up and tell me what they really needed to tell me. And finally I said, guys, this isn't working. I invited you here to open things up. Here's my balance sheet and my profit and loss. This should help you guys open up. My whole life is sitting in front of you. Now give it back. And that, the wall started to come down slowly because the first meeting was successful but not nearly as successful as the second. And now as we continue to plan and I think now with, with 
me having a financial controller and having numbers that are up to date all the time and we're going to we're going to be more regular in in what we do but for me picking a trusted advisor is extremely easy for me because they have my best interest in mind before their own um they look at my business not only as an opportunity to grow their business but they look at it as we we want Popple Family Farms to exist beyond next year. We want to be a business partner with with him and and you know I, to me that's the most important part of this. But I need the wealth of knowledge. I can't just have a seedsman to help me make every decision. Not that he shouldn't be a part of it because it's it's a systematic approach. Without the systematic approach and without everybody being on the same page, how in the world am I going to improve my profitability? So for me, the reason I showed them my financial position is because I needed them to understand that we're in we're in very difficult times right now, especially being a Gen 1 farmer. We don't have a lot of equity. We have a lot of borrowed money. And I'm not shy about that. Um, when you start out a business, it's just the way it is. It's the way my wife and I were when we started uh, the dental office, and it's the way we are now in our businesses. But they needed to understand that if if I have to put the brakes on, this is why. But now let's collectively decide where our money is best spent. If we have $50,000 to spend, where should we spend it? And if they're all helping me do that, generally I make a better decision. Not all the time. There's a lot of variables in farming that we can't control, and so you make a decision and you hope like heck Mother Nature you know, decides to play nice, but collectively we make better decisions than if I'm in a bubble. I could totally see that there's it's and I was thinking about this as you were talking kind of a very CEO moment kind of for you in that sense where you know you kind of had to basically tell the rest of the group that yeah you guys might all fight for business in other different parts but this is this is the centralized reason we're here is to make sure that this collective with me at the center is going to make sure that everybody else still continues to to operate and make money and, and do what you need to do, right? And how do you guys best communicate? And what do you, how important is that communication as you guys are continuing to like work together and, and raise that bar as you continue to do business together? As you can see, we, we communicate a lot over lunch. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Todd jokes about that. Um, and we both like food. There's no doubt about that. However, one of the things that I look forward to um, not because I just like to eat, but I look forward to that meal. It's it's like a family meal, right? You go with one of your trusted advisors that, I mean, I talk to Todd more than once a day, usually, to go and just vet things out. How's to, sometimes it's, it's as simple as I'm frustrated with X, Y, and Z, and he can help me laugh it off. Well, not dissimilar to what you were kind of talking about with your uncle, too. It's like you just having the open lines of, conversation and communication are just part of the way that you guys continue to learn and, and talk and, and figure out and help solve problems together, right? I think, I think the one thing that, that um, we've all failed in, in that trusted advisor group, and something that we're going to continue to improve upon is the formal communication. The informal, we do a pretty good job. You know, it's pretty easy to text message and, and you know, pick up the phone or, or send an email. But that's one of the things, it's one of my goals for 2020 is, is to, and we've talked about it, we've just, we just failed at it, is really communicating between, excuse me, between that group so that everybody's aware of what's going on all the time. 
And you know, it's just the general progression. We made the first step of actually getting the group together. Now we have to take it to the next level and get down to the detail. Like it's that decision making um, that gets me, that gets my motor running. How are we going to make a better decision? You know, than what we maybe made last year, or you know, how do we learn from from the mistakes, or how do we build off of our successes more than anything? Let's not dwell on the mistakes, but how can we build on the successes that we've had? Yeah, one of the things that you said that rang true to me there was like, yeah, we failed at that. Like being able to admit that you failed is is a pretty hard thing to do, especially with, I mean, I haven't been around agriculture for a super long time, but admitting failure is something that I haven't really come across as being something that guys in this industry are really willing to even talk about. How have you kind of gotten over that? It's tough. I, I mess up three, four times a day. Honestly, you know, you try to learn from it, you try to grow from it, you try to get better from it. But sometimes you make the mistake four or five, six times, you know. Um, in today's society, it might just be a word or two on, on how you mess up and, and stuff. And in Kevin's situation and, and farming and farming right now, you know, one mistake can be thousands and thousands of dollars. You know, you look at the, the precision side of things and... You know, if you're if you're if your planter's not at you know inch and three quarter two inches, if you're off a half inch, if you're at an inch and a quarter, we're you're talking eight, ten, thirteen, you know, bushel an acre, and that's hundreds of thousands of dollars and stuff. And those those mistakes are also why we do the precision, also why we we he has the the meeting and stuff like that to to keep that stuff from happening. What technology? What's there? How can I prevent this from happening and, and such? But So it still happens. We still make a lot of mistakes. Um, so why do I admit my mistakes? It's because I can't afford not to. I don't have the luxury of having a pool of money to, to dive into, and, and I don't hold any ill will to people that do. But in my case, I, I don't have a choice. I have to fail fast. If I fail slow, it's a slow death for me. And so for me, I don't have a choice. I don't have a choice but to put together a trusted advisor group to help me so I don't make a colossal mistake. Um, you know, I always tell our employees, generally speaking, I'm going to support your decision. It's no different than, than what goes on here. So I'll give you an example. Uh, we, we sit down and we pick seed varieties. Do you think we hit the mark on every one of those? I can take you out to a field right now that is my most frustrating field because I drive by it almost every single day and we failed together at picking one of those hybrids based on the year that we had one out of eight, nine. But instead of getting upset about it, I think it's okay. Collectively, what did we, what did we miss? Did we miss anything or is it simply the year? Well, as it turns out, I think it's all of the above. We missed a couple of things we had a year that was very unforgiving for some of the things that we missed. And frankly, we're not going to win them all. But it was a very small mistake, if you will. And we won't, we likely won't let it happen again based on the information that we have. Now, next year, we still may have a variety that doesn't work out. But that's also part of the reason that we have multi hybrid planting, too, because on a percentage basis, the percentage is going to be much lower. A failure because you have more hybrids that you're spreading out that risk. That over. diversification, yeah. So that was a huge driver in why we did that in the first place. And when you get that group of, of brain trust together, it's like, 
wow, we're spreading that risk out now twice as much as we used to. I never thought about it that way. I was more looking at it from the technical side of, oh, this is really cool. I can plant two hybrids. Kevin works hard to make the most out of his land every year, to get better results every year, and most importantly, to leave the land better than how he found it. And his uncle definitely helped set him up for success in that sense. I want to talk about what you're doing with the land you farm now that was your uncle's land to make it better. And Todd, how what part you play in that relationship and how you guys work together. In the five years I've known him, in the five years he's taken, taken over the operation, he's also flipped kind of the, the operation upside down um, from what he first started the first couple of years to where he's now with split nitrogen and strip till and, and all these practices that he's using, which are better for the environment, better for the soil and stuff like that. He has brought into, brought into the operation and, and made it work and making it work very, very well. So let me be clear, uh, my uncle did a phenomenal job of, of farming. He raised great crops and was very progressive up until he got to the end where it just did not make sense for him to continue to make these investments. You know, he talks about the, the years when, you know, when he was my age um, or, or maybe slightly a little bit older where, you know, we had to keep up with it because I had to make money for my family is, is you know, what he would, would quote to me. And I said, you know, I'm in the same boat right now, but now we're diving into the details. So we're taking his knowledge of the land and we're flipping it upside down, if you will, and diving into the details because that's where our profit is right now. Our profit is in the minor details, the, the, the major yield limiting factors, the major uh, contributors to higher yield or higher net margin is what we're focused on. And that's different than it used to be because we have different tools than they used to have. I mean, we can take DNA samples of our soil. Five years ago, if you'd have said that to me, I'd have kind of giggled at you. And now we, we will likely use those to, to even sharpen our, our tools a little bit more. So again, I, I think to, to recap, what we're doing different is simply just diving into the details because we now have more information than we've had in the past. And not only do we have the information, but we have the tools to use the information. So the yield monitor was cool when it came out, but all it did is print a map out. Now we not only have that, that information, but we're layering 17 other layers on top of that and using it, utilizing it to its fullest to really understand each acre by acre. You talked about first thing you want to do is your legacy, right? Like being able to have that. And part of that has to do with how you treat the land and how you steward the, the, the land and understand the inputs and resources. Like stewardship can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Sounds like you have a pretty strong vision of what that is. Can you kind of give me your elevator speech in that sense of what really it means to you and why it's so important? So sustainability um, and stewardship are buzzwords that are yeah. pretty critical to our business right now. And, and we realize that. And I, I think from our standpoint, we understand that the consumer of today and tomorrow will demand more information than what we're currently giving them. In preparation for that, we have a duty to be sure that, that our land is left 
in better shape than what we found it. And the people that farmed before us did a phenomenal job of that. It's one of the misnomers that, you know, farmers are, are not good stewards. We're the best stewards of, of anybody out there. When you look at, at what we have to work with, the land is the only thing we have. Without the soil, we have nothing else. So from my standpoint, when, when I talk about and, and think about sustainability, when I, when, I talk, when I think about stewardship, for me, it's, it's, it really boils back to, to the legacy. How do I farm for the next 30 plus years in a way that, that is going to leave um, is going to leave the land better than what I found it in, frankly? It's really that simple to me. My vision of, of stewardship and sustainability is that we take the tools that we have and we take a systematic approach versus a segmented approach in in all of the farming practices that we have, all the way from harvest to harvest. You know, our year of sustainability starts with our with our combine. And we look at technology that can improve um, how do we keep how do we keep all of the organic matter on our own fields? Okay, it seems like a simple concept, but it, it truly isn't. But we have technology now that makes it more simple than it used to be. Um, you know, we used to go across the field with a stock chopper and we'd grind everything up. And the first win we had, we would lose a lot of that organic matter. We don't want to do that anymore. And there's tools now to help us. It's no different than tillage. Granted, there needs to be some tillage done. We talk about my farm. Um, the land that we farm is extremely variable. So we know that, that our land has a tendency to blow. Or if we get a heavy rain, it has a tendency to wash. What can we do to mitigate that risk? We can go to strip till. Uh, not only can we go to strip till, but now we can put our fertilizer on in a timely manner and we're injecting it into the soil. How do we do our nitrogen? We went from putting fallen hydrous on to putting no nitrogen on in the fall because frankly, we knew we were losing at least 30% every year. Every year. I can't afford to lose that 30%. Our water streams can't afford to have it in them. And frankly, there's a better way to do it. So now we look at it a completely different way. We look at it now as when does the plant use nitrogen? And what does that look like? It means that we probably go to the lake less in the summertime, I'll be honest with you, because we're in the sprayer putting nitrogen on. But at the end of the day, we cut our nitrogen use by over 30% in what we did. So not only did it, did it help us financially, but we're not losing much of that fertility like we used to. So for me, it's taking that systematic approach. I preach this. People ask, well, what's sustainability mean to me? It's a systematic approach. It's not one thing. It's not strip till. It's not nitrogen management. It's all of those things put together. It's choosing the correct methodology for everything together. Another question we often ask on this podcast is, why channel seed? We ask the seedsmen, we ask the agronomists, we ask the farmers, why do you choose to plant channel seed? So we asked Kevin the same question and he had his answer ready. For me, the proof's in the pudding. The channel hybrids work for me. Um, that first year that, that I farmed was a learning experience for me. Uh, my uncle did have some channel corn uh, that he bought, um, not from Todd, because you guys weren't channel dealers then. Um, 
but uh, you know he had bought it in the past, and so I had got to see it on his land first on his dime, and so I knew that it was that it it had a very good chance at performing, and it did extremely well. So, so we were we were fifty fifty the first year, and after the first year, uh, we switched and haven't raised anything since uh, anything other than channel, um, and truly, what drives that? Um, is the relationship that I have with my seedsmen. Uh, that's a critical piece because they are pinnacle to, to my trusted advisor group. But not only that, with the type of technology and what my goals are on my operation um, as far as sustainability and, and accountability to the land and, and to the people that I rent my land from, um, channel is, is lockstep with me and, and our goals. Um, when I decided to go uh, with a multi-cultivar planner, a multi-hybrid planner, it was very important to me that whichever seed company I was going to work with was going to be able to work with that. And oftentimes the answer that I got was, we don't do that. We don't have the data. And instead, Todd pushed really hard to say, guys, how can we help them? And ever since then, it's evolved to not only Todd knowing my operation, but the district sales manager understands and knows my operation. The agronomist at Channel knows and understands. In fact, the agronomist stops out to the fields occasionally. He doesn't say he's going to stop by, but he's stopping by and, and taking a look. Did we make the right decision? And if we didn't, how do we, you know, how do we change that for next year? I mean, that doesn't happen with as busy as people are, unless they truly care about your operation. So in my case, first, it's the relationship that I have with Todd and, and his team. Secondarily, it's, it's frankly, the channel is very aligned uh, with, with where I want to go f with my operation. Yeah, it's, it's cool to hear it too, because, you know, it channel is kind of that younger sort of a little bit more progressive sort of brand right it came out Absolutely. and they've they've they listened to to what sort of was was what the new growers and certain growers were asking for and how they can do kind of what you're doing is meld all the different technologies and all the different opportunities so many inputs that you have to deal with and and coming in there and you got to be able to work with a company that really feels like they're actually taking that to heart and helping you make sense of it as well we will thrive because of a systematic approach and channel has embraced that and has pushed us to the limit of of yield and net margin because at the end of the day net margin is what drives us and I'll I'll be completely honest and and I know people would disagree but I would rather raise 150 bushel corn and have more net margin than raising 300 bushel corn and breaking even and Channel has the ability to help me with that. And there aren't many other companies out there that, that, that do. They, they have the resources, but there aren't many companies that'll take the time to sit down with me for several days a year. This is not just a one-time deal, but they sit down with us several times a year and take a deep dive into every acre on my farm. And that's Guys, that's an emotional thing. If 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 you go and buy a car and someone seeks to understand, um, you know, really what you're trying to do, you you have a good feeling, right? And this is my whole life 
that we're talking about. It's my livelihood. It's my passion. It's what I love. I mean, these guys are, are digging into it as deep, if not deeper, than I am sometimes. So Channel ought to be darn proud of, of what they're building because from my standpoint, I can't do it without them. I love it. It's amazing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Channel Chat. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did meeting Kevin and Todd and recording our conversation. Thanks, Amity. It was a pleasure to be able to uh, to join you on the podcast today. It's always impressive to meet uh, guys like Kevin and Todd and see what it's really like out in the field and, and how they've been able to build their relationship over time. And I look forward to do it again with you sometime. Now we're going to hear from Matt Bennett, who's continuing his conversation on grain market strategy. This is Matt Bennett, the Channel Seed Grain Marketing Consultant, uh, coming to you with a final episode as far as putting a marketing plan and risk management strategy together. So, uh, you know, we talked just a little bit in the previous episode about uh, the first thing you need to do, of course, is to step in there and figure out your break-even price. And then you put a marketing plan together. Uh, but we have to consider, as we start to figure out some of these timing issues that we talked about in the last episode, you know, as far as a timing issue goes, uh, how much money are we going to need during harvest time frame? Uh, and so as a producer, when I'm setting up a marketing plan, I've got to know, as far as I'm concerned, not only where I'm making money, but when do I need my money? And so one of the biggest mistakes that we make as producers is we get forced into making decisions sometimes, particularly during harvest, uh, where it's sell versus store. We don't know for sure what we want to do, but we do know we need some money. And so uh, unfortunately, a lot of times we make the decision to sell whenever the basis is pretty darn uh, pathetic uh, because we're forced into that situation versus the idea of earlier in the year maybe just uh, you know uh, the rally that we've uh, seen here in the month of May in 2019 uh, during that rally it's a really good time to say you know what I know I'm going to need whatever 20 40 100,000 you name it and I'm going to go ahead and sell some bushels at levels that I know that I can make money at uh, if I have that crop plan it's up and looking good and so we definitely need to be thinking about uh, the timing aspect the next thing we need to think about is, you know, do we want to do this all as far as physical bushels are concerned, whether it's hauling it across the scale or hauling it, uh, maybe even having them come to my bin and picking it up? Or do we want to put marketing plans together that are going to have just a little bit more uh, flavor to them? For instance, uh, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a hedging uh, uh, strategy, but it might be a strategy, for instance, like uh, uh, basis contracts, HTAs, you name it. But it doesn't have to just be a hedge account because uh, the bottom line for me is that uh, there's a lot of tools out there, even that I don't understand, that I need to continue to educate myself on because if they can help me manage risk, on my individual operation, uh, I certainly need to be willing and ready uh, to figure out what I'm going to do to manage that risk. And so uh, as you try to put your marketing plan together, make sure that you're uh, you're covering all the bases, you're thinking about whenever you need the money, and you're thinking about uh, what can I do to become a better marketer, uh, you know, on my operation, given what I know uh, and given the resources that I've been given to work with. But, uh, there's also a lot of you that have hedge accounts or that are probably interested in, in getting some sort of a hedge account. I will tell you that first and foremost, uh, having a hedge account 
Uh, it's got a bad rap with a lot of producers. Um, typically, the hedge accounts can be abused uh, by people who uh, start out maybe with the right intentions of hedging, and then they decide they want to do a little more speculative flavor, uh, you know, because they see the money that can be made. And as you know, uh, anywhere that you can make a lot of money, you can lose it just as fast. And so, uh, you know, I would say that any producer, though, in 2019 should strongly consider uh, figuring out a way to get a hedge account opened up. Uh, one nice thing about it is, is uh, with most anybody that I know, it doesn't cost you any money to open the hedge account. And now maybe if you're going to sign up with a particular service, there will be a fee. But there's plenty of brokers out there, probably in your given area, that you would be able to open up a hedge account uh, and it not cost you any money to open that up. I know with our particular service that I offer uh, uh, in my office, we don't charge anything to open up a hedge account. So, you know, why would you want to do something on paper? Well, let's think about 2019, for instance. A lot of producers saw a really strong basis. Uh, they wanted to sell some cash corn because they needed money, but yet they wanted to participate in an upward market. And so we saw that, uh, heard that from a lot of producers. So what they would do is, is uh, sell the corn to the elevator. The basis was telling them to go ahead and sell it, sold the corn, and then they re-owned it either with futures or with some sort of an option strategy. And I would say for someone who's never traded before, it's probably best to start with option strategies. Uh, whenever I'm purchasing an option, the uh, initial investment is all I can lose. Uh, with futures, it's got unlimited risk and unlimited reward. And so obviously you've heard of margin calls if you're a producer. Uh, people don't really like those. And so you know, I definitely want to know exactly what I'm doing uh, whenever I enter into these strategies. But here in 2019, a lot of folks have re-owned uh, corn that they've sold and it's done really well for them. It's not always going to work like that uh, and producers need to understand that. The other thing that you can think about is, is as this market rallies as a producer, uh, maybe I don't want to sell a whole lot of corn to the elevator. Uh, maybe I don't want to to actually ride an HTA with the elevator because I don't have any corn planted if I'm certain parts of, in certain parts of the corn belt. So how can I uh, latch on to some of this price that's so attractive without locking myself into some sort of situation that I can't deliver on? And, and one good way to do that is to, uh, uh, to put a put underneath the market. So if I'm purchasing a put option, I know that I've got a floor and if the market plummets, I'm going to be able to have that floor locked in. Uh, and so if I'm a producer that can make money at $4 corn, uh, as I'm talking about this, we actually have an opportunity to uh, to buy put options to give you a really close uh, to $4 floor. Uh, some of those uh, put options have actually been bought, 420 put options for 20 cents. It gives you a $4 floor. Now that's basis the board, but what it does is it sets a floor in underneath you. So. You know, whether we're talking a hedge account, whether we're talking uh, selling to the elevator, there's lots of risk management marketing tools to utilize. Uh, if you're not familiar with all of them, don't feel like uh, you're alone there. Uh, but certainly it's something that we all need to try to do to educate ourselves on because uh, with most of the producers that I speak with, they tell me the toughest part of their uh, operation is their marketing strategies, their marketing plan. Uh, let's try to educate ourselves on ways that we can better manage our risk because uh, if we can become better marketers in this era of lower profitability that we've entered into the last few years, I think it's going to serve us well. Again, this is Matt Bennett, the Grain Marketing Consultant with Channel C. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to hear more from Season 2 of Channel Chat. Learn more at channelpodcasting.com.